Hi, this is Steve Thomas, pastor of the First Baptist Church at Delray Beach. Welcome to our podcast. We study God's Word to apply it to our lives in order to make a difference in this life and in eternity. We hope you enjoy this message. We cry out, we cry out. Title of our message today is Wise Worship. Wise Worship. Let me ask you, as you finish the year and you start thinking about 2022, is there anything that you're just a little bit apprehensive about? Hello, Mike Fitzpatrick. Good to see you, buddy. Uh, Mike probably just got off shift about an hour ago. Amen? Is that right? No? Okay. You were playing with your toys, weren't you? Um, great to see you, man. Anything you're apprehensive about, I think you're worried about, I think you're concerned about, you know, fear usually springs from the idea that I'm worried that things aren't going to turn out like I hope they're going to turn out, right? And when you think about the new year, I can remember when I was, we were raising our children, and I was all concerned about something. I was concerned about where we were financially, what was going to happen, and I, I had just bought a new lawnmower. It was a great riding lawnmower. I love that lawnmower. We had just barely enough land that you needed a riding lawnmower. Needed, whoa, needed, you know what I mean, men? We needed that, and so we had just, just I remember I had this dream um, that I, I sold the house because I couldn't afford to pay for the lawnmower. Do you ever have those kind of dreams like that? Oh, I better sell, I can't pay for the lawnmower. Let's keep the lawnmower, let's sell the house. And we have a little bitty house, a little bitty yard, and I got this big lawnmower. That was the dream. I love how God can somehow speak in odd ways. But we are kind of a people that we get worried about stuff. We get fearful about things. And sometimes our fears are that... I'm afraid that next year I'm not going to have the same position of influence or I'm not going to be as successful. I love the comment of the old late night talk show host David Letterman after he, he signed one of his biggest contracts ever, one of the largest contracts in entertainment history at the time. And they asked him, they said, well, how do you feel about this big contract? And in classic Dave Letterman deadpan uh, style said, he said, I just am kind of afraid that they're going to figure out I'm not really that good. Do you ever think that? I'm just afraid they're going to figure out I'm really not that good at this. You know, sometimes, or really often, success covers a multitude of sin. Or success covers a multitude of errors. The Bible says, right, that love covers a multitude of sin, and that's the love of Christ where it actually covers our sin and takes it away. But success does something different. It just hides or masks what's there that needs to be fixed. And we think that because things are going good, because we have influence, because maybe we had a good financial year, that everything is fine. But we know it's not. We know we have feet of clay. Maybe that's where you're, maybe you're a little bit concerned that, you know what, this year, maybe the world figures out I'm not that good at this whatever it is. A friend of mine used to be a stockbroker in Houston, and uh, I went to visit him one day. He had been in the business a long time, and this was during a really good year for stocks, and all of the guys in that office were making a lot of money. And he said, you know, he he motioned to the other guys in the office. He said, you know, these guys, they think it's never going to end. If you've been around a while, you know it's going to end. You know that business cycle is just that. It's cyclical. There's always this little bit of fear that maybe, maybe things aren't going to work out. 
maybe I'm not as good as I thought I was. It happens in Christian life, too, because what happens, right? We receive this incredible gift of salvation. It's amazing. We receive this gift from Jesus, and we can't believe that he would save someone like us. And we repent of our sins, and we let Jesus, let his spirit come into our lives, and we live in light of that, and we live out that love for him and everything that we do. But then, as the years go by, sometimes, I'm sure none of you in this room, it's all those other Christians in other churches this morning, sometimes we start to bargain with God a little bit, right? Well, I really love you, and that's how it was, and I want to live out my love for you. It suddenly becomes, how much do I have to love Jesus? What do I really have to do? What can I really get away with? What does he really expect from me? And suddenly our, our Christian life becomes a negotiated life where we wind up doing the minimum instead of living out the maximum amount of love for him. And we start, there's a little bit of fear that comes in. Well, what if I really experience his presence? What if I'm in a worship service and suddenly I feel like God's moving and we start to get kind of concerned about that? And that's where things are in Matthew chapter 1, chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. There is a leader who knows he's not the ultimate leader. And there's something that happens that causes him to panic. Look with you, Matthew chapter 2, beginning in Verse 1, the word of the Lord says this. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod, remember that name, Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Lots of craziness in those two verses, if you think about it. We as Christians, we kind of know the story, and we've seen Charlie Brown Christmas and every other Christmas story, and, and we see our manger scenes, and so it just kind of, oh yeah, these wise men, they showed up, it was cool, you know, and they wore these really cool robes, and they sang, we three kings of Oriental, right? Why is it when I sing, no one sings with me? I don't know. And, and we, we have this whole thing, right? It just seems natural. Jesus is born, wise men come, but wait a minute. These guys are not from Israel. They're not followers of Jesus. What are they doing showing up? They came from the east to Jerusalem, and they're looking for the king of the Jews, and they saw this star that rose and have come to worship him. And every manger scene, there's a star somewhere, right? And everybody knows there's supposed to be a star there. But this, is, this doesn't really make sense when you break it down logically. After Jesus was born in Judea, in the days of Herod the king, wise men came from the east. Now, wise men are magi. These are guys that are somewhere between a university professor and a horoscope writer. Somewhere in there. They're astronomers, and they're somewhere in between that and astrology, and really they're more astrologists probably, and they're they're trying to tie knowledge that's known and what's happening in the sky. And they're trying to tie what's happening in the sky with what's happening on earth as though the sky can tell you what's happening on earth. That's what they're all about. Had a lot of influence. They're probably coming from the area of Iran, Persia, that area. And it says that they came and they said, where, we have, where is he who was born king of the Jews? For we saw his star as it rose, and we've come to worship him. It's crazy, isn't it? They see a star, 
and they think that there's a new king born. And there was a belief at that time that when a new king, a new world-dominating king was born, there would be something that would happen in the sky. That was kind of their belief. And so something happened in the sky. We don't know what, and a lot of people have tried to figure that out. You know, well, back in, you know, 4 or 5 A.D., there was this crazy comet that came, and that's what they saw. You know, it really doesn't matter. See, God was able to draw them through their work, through what they were looking at. The God of the universe was able to draw people who didn't even love him to come and worship this king. Notice how urgent it is. They didn't just have to get up and drive across the street or across town or somewhere to go to church. They didn't have to do that. They had to get on some camels and take a two or three month trip across the desert to get to worship this king. Worship is pretty urgent for them. It's pretty important because they believe this star points out the birth of a king who will dominate the world. And so they come to worship him. They come to worship him. It's crazy how God draws them, isn't it? Have you ever had an experience that was a little bit supernatural? Maybe it was a dream. Maybe it was an event that drew you to worship Jesus. And you may have said to yourself, well, that's crazy. That's not in the Bible. Listen, never underestimate God's ability to speak and God's ability to move people and draw them to himself. He uses a star in the sky to draw these very smart guys across the desert to worship his son. You may encounter someone like this that may have had a dream. I dreamed that I needed to come to Jesus. God does that. We need to quit being, get over ourselves thinking that God has to use me because I'm so doggone important and I'm so doggone good looking. Amen. We need to forget that and realize God can use whatever he wants to draw people to himself. If you read the Old Testament, you know, he spoke through a certain animal, didn't he? To speak his word. He can use even Lee Keller. Amen. Lee's with me today, I can tell. Isn't he, Janelle? Praise God. You look good today, Janelle. He looks all right as well. Um, that's the God we serve, isn't it? He drew you, I hope. He could supernaturally today reach into your heart and say, you know what, I've got a whole new plan for you for 2022. i got a whole new deal for you coming up. Do we believe that God can speak like that to our hearts? Verse 3, I love the reaction of King Herod. Verse 3 says, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Now, if you just read that, it sounds like, you know, this was kind of a problem, not a big deal. It's kind of like if you have a plumbing problem or have an issue at your house, you've got to call somebody, you know, it's kind of. No, actually, the original would say that they were, in, he was in panic. This is a big problem. This is a huge political problem for him that could threaten his very existence as king. And all of Jerusalem is upset as well, which means not every person in Jerusalem, probably all the leadership of Jerusalem, including political and religious leaders. They're all concerned about this. They're thrown into a panic. It's kind of like if you have an out-of-town supervisor who shows up at work. Or normally you work on your own, and then suddenly your supervisor says, listen, I want to follow you around today. 
No, thank you. Really, I'm fine. You ever have that happen? Or maybe it's like you got a ticket to an event. Let's say Miami Heat basketball game. And you bought a ticket, but you bought it up in those 400 seats, you know, the ones on StubHub that are like $15. But you get in your seat and you look down front and you see courtside, there's some seats that are vacant and it's already in the second quarter. And you're thinking, I'm just going to go down there and I'm going to get someone to distract the usher. I'm going to slip by and get in those seats. Anybody ever done that? I haven't, but I bet some of you have. Lee Keller, again, praise God. I'm glad somebody's telling the truth. I always wanted to do that, but... When you're sitting there the whole time, let's say you did that, and you're like somebody like Jonathan Havard who has a conscience, and you're thinking, you know, I wonder if someone's going to come along and they're going to tap me on the shoulder. Hey, man, you don't belong here. That's why I never do that, because I would hate that feeling. I want to enjoy the game. I don't want someone to come and tap me on the shoulder. Hey, man, you're an imposter. Don't you know the seats for Jack Nicholson? Spike Lee? Some famous person that I can't know, Pitbull, somebody, I don't know. Uh, somebody, right? It's all those people that sit courtside. If you're watching a game, you know, you're always watching. Hey, man, it looks like somebody important. Only reason you know they're important is because they're dressing so weird that no one else would look like that, right? Anyway, they're all courtside. I hate that feeling. Well, Herod is in that zone. He knows that he is not the real king. Herod is a. Idumean, he has some Jewish blood. He's what they call a converted Jew. He's someone who has been kind of made a deal with Rome to become ruler of Israel. Israel doesn't really like him. Rome doesn't really like him. He's a brutal guy, incidentally. Caesar once said it's safer to be Herod's pig than his son. He had sons and wives killed. It's the kind of guy he was. That he's the ruler of God's people. Figure that out, right? So he's in that seat worrying that one day, Someone's going to come and displace him. And that day is today. That's why he's so worried. He knew there would be a Messiah, rescuer, king. Verse 4. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for you shall... For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. You know, it's sad when someone who claims to be the leader of God's people has to ask where Jesus can be found. You know, you'd think that the leader would know there's going to be a Messiah and he's going to come from Bethlehem. This is what's going to happen. You would think he would know that, but he doesn't. The leader of God's people doesn't know where Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah, is going to be born. This is such a picture of the ministry of Jesus. People from afar know more than people who are right there. People from other countries who worship all kinds of other gods, they know more about Jesus than God's people. This would strike to our heart and convict us if, if we're not worshiping Jesus ourselves because God had to draw worshipers from outside of God's people to worship him. Because God's people wouldn't. It's an incredible picture of the reach of what Jesus would do and what he's doing today. See, most of us aren't Jews. We only know Jesus because he was able to reach outside of his own people. And God has used his own people, the Jews, to go and share his name, as it did in the early church. 
But it's sad that Herod didn't know where Jesus would be born. Verse 7, Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, Hey, you guys, this is my own translation. Hey, man, listen, I really want to come with you. And it's awesome what you're doing. I just love, I would love to come, but I just, I just need for you to go on ahead of me. And that's what he says. Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship. I love it when church people give these elaborate reasons why they're doing what they're doing, right? Hey, you know, I love church so much, man. I just love coming. I love being with God's people. I just love seeing the expressions on their faces. I love seeing Sharon Holt smile, you know. I love seeing Steve Mensack look like he can't wait for the Dolphin game tomorrow night. I love for us all being together. I love that. But then they don't ever show up. Right? I love God. I love my small group. I love to serve. But they don't ever do anything. That's what Herod's doing. I love Jesus. I, I love this new Messiah. I'm excited about him coming, but I, I'm not really coming right now. I could lead you down there, but I really would look like a fool because I don't know where he is. But watch what the wise men do. After listening, verse 9, after listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And they saw the star, and they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Now, imagine you're the Magi, the wise men. You travel this long journey from Persia because you see a star in the sky. You feel like that's a supernatural drawing, and you respond to it. And then you get to Israel, and the king's a knucklehead and doesn't seem to know where Jesus is going to be born, this new king's going to be born. But this supernatural force allows this star to now move and lead you exactly to where Jesus is. So now you've got two supernatural things that have happened, and they get super excited because they know they're on the right track. They know that this God that they don't really understand is drawing them to the place of the birth of this new king. Verse 11. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. And let me pause there. Notice they're in a house now. Two days ago when we were at Christmas Eve, they were in some kind of a stable, some kind of a, a little pen, a livestock holding mini barn, carport outside. Now they're in a house. So it's been a little while, right? So I'm sorry about your manger scenes. It's okay to have the wise men come to your manger scenes, but the reality is by now they're in a house, so maybe we need two manger scenes. I don't know, but I just want to make that clarification so you can annoy your friends and neighbors about their uh, setup. But anyway, they come to the house with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. This is stunning. These men are not typically worshippers of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They fell down and worshipped him. They physically humbled themselves, saying, you are so much better than us, you little child. We want to fall down and physically worship you. And then they, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. You see, the wise worship Jesus. 
They don't just worship him physically. They, they do that. They worship him physically. They show up. They worship him. They fall on their face. They worship him. But they also worship materially. And he gives them, he gives him gifts. Very, probably the most expensive known gifts in the world at the time. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Perfume, lotions that are extremely expensive in that day. And gold. They're saying to him, you are the king. Not we're trying to make you king. Not trying, we're trying to get in good with you. Rather, we're saying, we worship you. We acknowledge that you are the great king. The wise worship Jesus. See, this is wisdom, is worshiping Jesus. And then in verse 12, it's kind of a throwaway verse. You kind of, kind of ignore it a lot of times. Verse 12 says, And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. This is the third time there's a supernatural message to them. This time in a dream. Don't go back to Herod. Go home another way. Don't put the child in danger by telling Herod where the child is. You need to go home another way. And they departed to their own country. Three times God is able to communicate with these people. See, God is always able to communicate with his people. Today, we have the word of God. We have the Holy Spirit within us. In those days, God used a lot of different ways to communicate with his people. They first saw the star, then the star moved, and then God spoke to them in a dream. Let me ask you. Today, on the 26th of December, as we get ready for a new year, are you a wise worshiper or are you like Herod? Are you a wise worshiper that it's urgent, it's necessary to take this big trip in order to come and worship Jesus? That you're going to listen and respond to whatever cues he gives you and that's what you're all about. Are you a wise worshiper or are you more like Herod? where you're really worshiping to try to fend off God's wrath, to try to make it look good, to try to maintain your position out of fear that God may take your position. See, the people who worship like Herod, they want to appear to be legitimate followers of God so they can appear to be trustworthy, on the right track, on the right side. But when you ask them, where I can go worship Jesus, they don't know. See, true worshipers of Jesus can always help someone else find their way to Jesus. You know, we do use tools. Three circles is great. But the reality is, if you're a worshiper of Jesus, you should just be able to say to somebody, follow me. I'm going to go worship him right now. You have a relationship with him where you're, Life is worship. I do what I do in order to bring glory to God. See, today, I want to urge you, stop bargaining with him. If you find yourself bargaining with Jesus, what do I really have to do to please you? What is the You've missed the point. You're getting like Herod. You see, we need to stop bargaining with Jesus and Acknowledge that what I have is already his. If I'm a follower of Jesus, he owns it all. 
God, I want to give whatever I can possibly give. I want to do whatever I can possibly do. I want to bring you as much glory as I can because you're worthy of glory. That's how I want to live my life. I don't need to bargain with Jesus. Give him what he already owns. Today, it might be a day for you to say, Jesus, I repent of trying to just maintain and hold on to my fun and hold on to my stuff. I, I, I want to repent of that. I just want to acknowledge that you're God and I'm not. I give you all my treasure. I give you all my time. I give you myself because you're worth it. Because you gave me life when I was trying to earn it and I was unsuccessful doing it. You know, some of you may have been drawn to him even today by something supernatural or something crazy. He may have spoken to you through the traffic on the way here. He may have spoken to you in your job. You may have seen something in what you do that drew you to consider Jesus. You need to be excited about that. See, Jesus loves us enough to do what is necessary to give us the opportunity to worship him. Today, you may need to make that commitment for the first time. Jesus, I I worship you. I've worshipped all kinds of stuff in the past, but today I worship you, my king, the one who is worthy with myself physically, with my material goods, with my time, and with my life. Today, if you need to make that commitment for the first time, I'd love to chat with you after our service. See, Jesus calls us to worship him because the wise worship. Would you bow with me? Thanks for joining us today. If you'd like to support this ministry, go to our website at fbcdelray.com. Also, click the share button so you can share this message with a friend or someone in need as we seek to know Jesus, to know others, and to make him known. We cry out, we cry out.